Hey, Kat. Do you remember last year? Yeah, life was better then. Well, I'm going to take you back one day last December for a moment in your mind. Okay. It was raining. <laughs> Wait, you remember it was raining? Yeah, because back then I usually took the bus to work two or three days a week. I'd go across the causeway from Sacramento to Davis, and it can take anywhere from 30 minutes to, well, once it took two hours. It depends on I-80 traffic. And when it rained, I hated it because I don't like getting wet. Yeah, super inconvenient, princess. <laughs> well, I was going to campus to talk to one of our transportation experts about reducing greenhouse gases in our transportation sector. And so I thought, well, it would be appropriate to take public transit that day. Okay, so you're waiting in the rain for the bus? Well, actually, let's fast forward. The bus has dropped me off on campus, only I need to get to the other side of campus across the highway. And some days, well, you know me, I'm pretty lazy. Okay, so I'm outside the Mandavi Center and I just called an Uber to take me to the other side of campus, West Village, and I've been told it's gonna be $7 to take me eight minutes away. I'm waiting on Tony and he's in a Prius. Wait, 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 you took an Uber? You could have just hopped on Unitrans, the university's bus system. Shh, don't interrupt. I'm telling a story. So Tony shows up. Hi, are you Tony? Yeah, I sure am. You're Amy, right? Yes. Okay, Tula okay, Street, huh? Not very far at all. So I strike up a conversation and tell him about this podcast episode. But one of the things I'm looking at is... Uh reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So I'm pleased you picked me up in a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, believe me, I would drive an electric car if I could afford one that had the range. Yeah. Five minutes later. Ma'am, you have a nice day, okay? Thank you, really appreciate it. Take care. Okay, so what was the point of that little scene? Oh, I just wanted to reminisce. You know, we're not taking Uber as much during the pandemic, and I wanted people to just remember what it was like. No, really, Amy. What was the point? Well, I thought it was a great example of all the excuses we have for not doing the right thing when it comes to reducing our transportation carbon footprint. But you didn't take a car at first. You took a bus. That was a good start. Yeah, well, public transit is always better. But then again, I only take it a few days a week, or I did before the pandemic, which now has me working out of a closet, and I hardly ever take it if it's raining. Well, using Uber isn't that bad, though. And he was driving a Prius. A hybrid is good, but it's not electric. And, well, Tony the driver thinks electric cars don't have the range. And I found out that using ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft may lead to an increase in the amount of vehicle miles traveled, especially if you're using the service instead of taking public transit like I was. Or if the drivers aren't in a hybrid or electric car. Well, it sounds like there's going to be a lot to unfold about transportation. It's a moving target. Yeah, your puns are just <laughs> ridiculous, Amy. Yeah, but it is a moving target. The pandemic has completely changed some of our transportation habits, and it keeps changing. You're right. And we'll be talking about that as well. Now... Let's move on. Climate models all agree that temperatures are going to increase. It's going to be hotter. It's going to be drier. Fire's going to burn more frequently. Maybe this is never going to be the way it was again. We need to come up with ways to literally pull CO2 out of the atmosphere. How are we going to work together to solve a challenge like climate change? 
coming to you from our closet studios as we shelter in place across the Sacramento region, this is Unfold, a UC Davis podcast that breaks down complicated problems and discusses solutions. This week, we unfold transitioning to low-carbon transportation. I'm Amy Quinton. And I'm Kat Curlin. Speaking of carbon, how carbon intensive is transportation, you might ask? Well, it plays a huge role in our greenhouse gas emissions. It accounts for 40% of California's emissions, about a third of U.S. emissions, and about 14% globally. In this episode, we're going to be talking about solutions to our transportation emission problems, but we also need to get real. The main problem is us and our habits. I mean... Who doesn't love getting in their comfy car in the morning? You put your travel mug right in the little cup holder. You start the engine. And if you're like me, you put on your favorite radio station. You can join us in what we are calling Econ Extra Credit. And you hit the road. Giovanni Cercella with our Institute of Transportation Studies researches travel behavior. He's the one I went to see that rainy day last December. Americans love cars and a lot of people love cars especially when they need to carry something with them or the weather is not very nice like today in Davis is raining and so a lot of people are using their cars instead of uh, riding the bicycle and uh, this is something actually we need to deal with. See Amy you're not the only one who doesn't like to get wet. Yeah, but I need to stop making excuses. Of course, I can't bike to work because I live so far away. I also don't own a bike, but that's not the point. The point is, according to Giovanni, our cities are also really designed for our love of cars. Cities have been designed in a way that people travel by car to most places. And we had residential neighbors that were built, and then we had commercial malls that were built in other areas, and then we have offices in the central core of cities and industrial areas. Giovanni told me that it was rational to design cities this way when you think about building our utility infrastructure. Separating residential from industrial uses makes sense, but... But when it comes to transportation, it's a disaster because it makes all trips longer, It makes many trips not possible to be made with non-car modes and increase the car dependence of society. Okay, well, we can't rebuild cities, at least not easily. No, so perhaps we should just make our cars more efficient. Well, we've been doing that. Sure, cars are more efficient than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But still today, we have more miles traveled, so the total number of uh, miles is going up, and we have more like you know, greenhouse gas emission from transportation. So we are not on track to achieve the transportation goals that we set. By goals, I'm assuming he's talking about California's climate change goals, which aim to reduce greenhouse gases 80% from 1990 levels by 2050. Yeah, and one way to get us there is to get more electric vehicles on the road. In fact, our experts say adoption of zero emission vehicles is by far the single most important strategy for reducing carbon emissions from transportation. And by the way, Governor Newsom recently issued an executive order mandating that all new passenger cars sold be zero emission by 2035. Right, and that's going to be a heavy lift given how few people are buying zero emission vehicles now. Lou Fulton is with our Institute of Transportation Studies. Right now we're selling at around 8 
90% of sales in California, maybe it's close to 10% now, that are electric or, or hydrogen, zero emission. That by and large, those are mostly electric vehicles. So, Kat, do you own an electric car? Sadly, no. We're waiting until our Subaru is on its last wheels. I don't either. In fact, I bought a car just last year, and the thought of buying an electric car just seemed overwhelming. I think I just assumed they're really expensive and require charging stations. So instead, I just bought a really reliable, fairly inexpensive used one. Apparently, I'm like most consumers. When it comes to buying something big and expensive, people are conservative. With cars and houses, the two largest purchases that people make, they tend to be much more conservative. That's Dan Sperling, director of the Institute of Transportation Studies, or ITS. He says not only are people simply conservative when they buy cars, when it comes to electric cars, people, just like that Uber driver, have an additional anxiety. There is this range anxiety that exists. The reality is with most of the electric, new electric cars, they have quite a bit of range. They range from about 150 to about 350 miles on a charge. So it's not as much as gasoline, but it's not like, you know, you have to charge it every half hour <laughs> to get somewhere. Okay, Amy, so say you're going on a long trip, you would have to charge the car. And in most states, there aren't enough public charging stations. I think our experts would agree that there need to be more charging stations. Yeah, it's happening. It does need to happen faster. But the technologies around these cars are changing fast, including longer ranges. Lou Fulton says people are just unaware. I think when people drive electric cars, they pretty quickly are convinced, wow, they're great. They, they perform really well. But a lot of people have never been behind the wheel of an electric car, and so they don't know that. And incidentally, automakers still do not spend much money to advertise these vehicles. They're producing them. They're not really marketing them very aggressively. So that has to change. So Kat, I'm one of those consumers who had never been behind the wheel of an electric car or even been a passenger in one. You were an environment reporter in California. How is that possible? I know, I know. Well, I told Giovanni that. And after our interview, I had him drive me back to Sacramento in an electric car. Nice. In the name of journalistic research, naturally. Well, of course. I mean, it was also rush hour. It was five o'clock. And let's face it, if I were going to take the bus back to where I could jump on the shuttle bus back to Sacramento, I would miss the shuttle by about 15 minutes. Then I would have to wait until six o'clock. And I just wanted to get home. You are full of excuses. Like most people. <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. And it was rainy which I was complaining about, of course, before we even got to the electric car. Oh, it could rain. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh so, my God, if it never yeah. dropped any precipitation, I would love it. <laughs> okay. Oh, look at this. All right. Research in motion. Yes. So, do you know about this car? Can you talk about it a little bit? Sure. Okay. Yeah, we can do it. Okay. What kind of car is this? So BMW. Th this is a BMW i3. That tiny sound was the motor starting. It's so quiet. <laughs> it is nice to be in an electric vehicle. It's very quiet. Uh, we can start driving. And we almost don't realize that we are already going. The car is on. 
And we are starting to drive As we begin our approximately 16-mile journey, we merge onto I-80, and traffic almost immediately brings us to a crawl. It's a stop and go. We are actually like, you know, braking very often, sometimes even stopping in the middle of the freeway. Uh, it's very far away from the idea of uh, uh, free flow, for which uh, many times we built our interstate system. This was an interesting point. Giovanni says engineers were taught to add more lanes when traffic was not flowing freely. It doesn't work. <laughs> the more capacity we put on the roadway, the more people will travel by car. And the more cars on the road, the longer people sit in traffic, the more greenhouse gases. It's a vicious cycle. By 526, we're still not in Sacramento. We're not even in West Sacramento. This I-8 is a major corridor. And the thing that is kind of concerning is that every year is getting worse. No doubt. But it makes me feel a little better that we are in an electric car. The car is telling us right now that we have 67 miles of range remaining. So we pretty much can go for 67 miles without charging, which makes enough to, for short trips like, you know, the one we're doing. Now, of course, like, you know, uh, batteries get depleted. Uh, we also have um, newer cars uh, that actually have better range. But uh, the range is becoming less and less of a concern for most trips. I had no range anxiety. In all honesty, I had looked up where charging stations were near me, and they're all over the place. We finally arrive at my doorstep. Okay, so 5.48, so about 45-minute trip for 16 miles. That's not too bad during peak time. No. I mean, by Amtrak, it would have taken only 20 minutes to go from Davis to Sacramento. Okay, I should point out that Giovanni, probably like most Europeans, raved about rail systems. But he also says it's not the total solution for obvious reasons. But it would have been downtown Davis to downtown Sacramento. And it would have taken a lot more time to go from ITS Davis, where we were, to the station in Davis. And then from the station in Sacramento, how do you come here? Yeah. So we would have probably to take an Uber. And so that's or... what you think about all the time, from end to end. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really like, you know, what is the biggest difficulty today to change transportation in the U.S. And this is really what we need to think more and more if you want to achieve, like, you know, the climate goals of California. Because it's not just the electrification that will take us there. Kat, Giovanni thinks about travel from doorstep to destination, end to end. And he says this is where newer technologies like micro-mobility services, those dockless bikes and e-scooters can help. They can eliminate the need to take a car for short trips, say from rail service to my doorstep. So micro-mobility will help. Electric vehicles will help. So let's talk about why Giovanni says electrification alone will not allow us to meet our climate goals. Didn't we say it's the most important strategy? We did. But electric vehicles still require road infrastructure and still need energy to run. And there's also the issue of battery waste. And like other cars, they also occupy a lot of space. Did you know, did you know that a third of the land area in L.A. is used for parking? Yikes. Okay, so what else do we need to do? I asked Dan Sperling that. The second big strategy, and it's a much more difficult one, is to reduce vehicle use. Not easy, but he says the way to do that is to pool or share rides. By that, he does not mean carpool, right? Right. 
Dan says we've spent billions on carpool lanes and the number of people that carpool has actually dropped in the last couple of decades. Instead, Dan says the next big step is shared automation. We need to convert our cars to be automated, our vehicles, and for them to be provided as part of a mobility service where many people would be riding those vehicles and they would give up car ownership. In many ways, the idea is like Uber Pool or Lyft Share, only driverless. Being driverless saves money so more people can use it, and it makes it way more adoptable for cities. A study Lou Fulton did a few years ago showed driverless vehicles could lower traffic congestion and greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent or more in 2050 if adopted worldwide. But, and it's a big but, they have to be both electric and shared. You can find that on our Science and Climate website at climatechange.ucdavis.edu. Yeah, and Dan says shared automation is the perfect marriage of mass transit and the comfort of our cars. There'll be a computer that organizes the routing, and it'll just pick up people on, on your route as you go, and it'll adjust it automatically. So the net effect is that you have a, a transportation system that's cheaper, less vehicle use, and therefore less greenhouse gases. It requires less road space, less parking, um, better for equity. So this is really very compelling. So UC Davis researchers launched this policy initiative called Three Revolutions a few years ago. The main idea being the greatest environmental and public benefit would come from three things, driverless, electric, and shared mobility. It may sound really futuristic, you know, like the Jetsons cartoon. But Dan says, not so. This is not the Jetsons. This is not pie in the sky. This will happen. There's a big question, how fast it'll happen and exactly where. But the reality is there is a future that's a far more sustainable transportation future than what we have now. We've mostly failed in transportation. We have a transportation system that's hugely expensive, huge environmental cost, and very inequitable. Kat, since Dan brought up the Jetsons, I did ask him a bit more about what travel could be like in the future. There are some more exotic things. There's like electric planes that people are developing for relatively short distances, like 50 to 100 miles. So you can hop over all that traffic congestion. What? Really? Yeah. It's, there's billions of dollars going into that right now. And eventually those will be automated as well. So there'll be small planes with a few people in them that will fly 50 to 100 miles. That sounds like the Jetsons. I'm sorry, but that it is, does. <laughs> it does evoke Jetsons. But I've given talks at conferences where it just filled up with the engineers and the companies that are doing this. Believe it or not, Kat, this idea is really taking off. Ugh. <laughs> there you go again with the puns. Oh, my. So, back to the three revolutions. We got ride-sharing, electrification, and automation. What is the biggest hurdle to making this low-carbon transportation future happen? The holdup or the challenge is 
Will people give up car ownership and will they share rides? And right now, sharing rides is not happening thanks to a pandemic. I'll sum it up this way. It's a disaster. There's a negative word. (laughs) Well, you know me. But disaster is a word our experts use to talk about transportation changes during this pandemic. Ride-hailing, ride-share, micromobility, and most especially mass transit have seen huge reductions in use. Yeah, people are using their cars for safety reasons. In fact, Giovanni Sorcella is currently researching people's transportation habits during COVID, and he's found a third of people are using their cars more than they used to. And 58% remain hesitant to use shared mobility. Probably not surprising, since we saw drive through graduations and going-away parties, drive through weddings, rock concerts, and the return of the drive-in movies. When I spoke to Giovanni again this summer, he noted that micromobility use plummeted. People were afraid to touch handlebars of bikes or scooters. At the same time, micromobility is actually experiencing a big, big reduction in use in the last few months. Some cities are actually completely banning micromobility. For safety reasons and for social distancing, they're actually removing all scooters and they actually put a ban on their use. And those bans have since been lifted, at least in most places, but not without micromobility companies taking a huge economic hit. Uber, the parent company of Jump Bikes, merged their e-scooter business with Lime Bikes as a way to stay alive. But that's not necessarily a good thing. This process actually could continue because many other micromobility companies are struggling right now. And we could see actually more mergers and acquisitions, which might lead to less competition, less availability of scooters, potentially higher fares. And this might actually have an impact in demand. Uber Pool stopped service, at least temporarily. Both Uber and Lyft have seen ridership drop dramatically. But nothing has been hit harder than mass transit. When COVID-19 first hit, public transit in San Francisco and New York saw a 90% decline in ridership. 90%. Here in Sacramento, SacRT has seen ridership drop 70%, although there has been an uptick since then. And that's particularly concerning because in lots of cities, transit was already in trouble. Dan Sperling says those services rely on government funding and subsidies. Government doesn't have a lot of money right now. <laughs> Tax revenues are down and, and costs are way up. So there has to be a reckoning. I think some of the smaller transit operators, they're probably going to disappear. That is not good. So could this all return to normal once the pandemic ends? Well, that's a good question, and it's something Giovanni is researching. Certainly the pandemic uh, poses a question about uh, even if we go back to normality, what the future of transportation will look like. This has been a question already for many people that rely on public transportation because they don't have other ways to move around. And so some are actually reported to be buying a car. Yep. More cars on the road. At least for those that can afford to buy one. There is a huge equity component to all of this. The drop-off in transit use is going to affect the lower income and disadvantaged people the most. Just like with so many aspects of climate change. But maybe the pandemic will make companies more open to the idea of telecommuting. And maybe video conferencing with your doctor won't be such a weird thing anymore. And Dan believes ride-sharing will pick up again. It's just a matter of when. You can learn more about our transportation research on our science and climate website, climatechange.ucdavis.edu. 
and listen to more episodes of Unfold at ucdavis.edu slash unfold. I'm Amy Quinton. And I'm Kat Curlin. Thanks for listening. Unfold is a production of UC Davis. It's produced by Cody Drabble. Original music for Unfold comes from UC Davis alumnus Damian Verrett and Curtis Jerome Haynes.